0: conference on visualization of information The C on the go podcast so what i want to talk about is something that's very close to my heart and i guess i'm a bit of a romantic and i I like computers but i i like people a lot more than i like computers and machines um and what interests me is the spaces that exist between digital data and, and the thing and transitions so that's what we're going to talk about I'm going to show you some of my work and um, have a bit of fun, hopefully. Um, so, this is the first point. People don't make any sense at all. So, compared to a machine, they, we, we don't make any logical sense. Um, and I love this picture. This is, um, this is Detroit. And these are, are called desire lines. So you can see the, the little paths. That, so we've got the, the way this city wants you to walk around is it's like in a grid. And you walk around these pavements. But people have gone, screw that. We're going to walk through the fields and the grass. And you can see that it's sort of almost been crowdsourced, these little paths through, through, the, through the system. So the government or the council... Says you will walk this way, and the people those go. Well, I think there's a better way, so. And these are called desire lines. So if you look for desire lines on Flickr or on Google or on the internet, um, you can find about all this kind of stuff. And that kind of fascinates me, um, because I I, th- I believe this that. And as Alexander has already demonstrated, way more brilliantly than I will. Um, data needs poetry data by itself is not enough so as you saw with that the great information is beautiful thing you know Alexander showed the that big block and it was like well oh, it looks kind of cool but we didn't really understand it but it was only when the film and the, the the Tetris thing that's when it sort of communicated to you so there's this layer of poetry that I think always needs to go into something now I've got to demonstrate that I've got a very brutal, very simplistic, because I'm a, I'm a simple guy, my, my brain isn't that big, um, I never went to university, I have no qualifications, so I do very simple things, and thankfully people pay me for it, so that's okay. So, so <laughs> yeah, as you'll see by my code is like, yeah, you know, I write it in like half an hour. Um, so. This is a very simple example of that kind of this idea Um, and to demonstrate that we're going to use a a little bit of an opening paragraph from Dylan Thomas's Under Milk Wood and we're going to compare two pieces of data. The data is exactly the same, the words are exactly the same Um, but first we're going to hear from a Macintosh. Moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black, the couple streets silent and the hunched, quarters and rapids would limp invisible down to the slowly black, slow black. I could listen to that shit all day. So, not really. I mean, it's awful. But then we hear how Richard Burton says it. To begin at the beginning. It is spring, moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black. The cobble streets silent and the hunched quarters and rabbits wood limping invisible down to the slow black, slow black. Totally different. The words are exactly the same. The data is exactly the same. But this, because Richard Burton was a genius anyway, it seems quite good to play Richard Burton in a church. Anyway, um, But... And so what did he inject? He injected rhythm and pace and silence and pause and gaps between things. And those are the things. I think Jimi Hendrix once said that it's not about the notes that you play, it's about the notes that aren't played. And so it's the same with data. And so I believe this, that all good design, everything—I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a physical object, a piece of packaging, um, a button on a website, an e-commerce site, an installation, whatever. All good design is infused with good use of punctuation, and these comma, semicolon, full stop, or period—if you're American—there um, are three different, you know, three different types of timing, three different types of gaps between things, and I believe all design, all good design, employs these things in different ways, and they, they, they kind of put a layer between things, so I didn't design this, by the way, before you go, that is horrific, um, this, this was before I got involved, so as an example of that, the BBC came to us and said, oh, we've got this site called Memory Share, and it's a site where People, Anyone can go on the internet and they can add a memory about absolutely anything So today you could add a memory about how you saw Brendan Dawes do an awesome talk um, That's a joke um, Or You know or you know the birth of your child whatever so and this was a the site they had it had been around for years and <laughs> Who's gonna put anything into that? you know I mean, the first thing they wanted us us to do was, could you just remove the brown? It's like, yeah, we've got a special filter in Photoshop, remove brown, no problem. Um, But, you know, it it doesn't, no way would I ever come to this site. One, I wouldn't understand what it was. And two, I just wouldn't be compelled to actually do anything with it or enter any data because it just puts me into a coma as soon as I look at it. And I believe it also put lots of other people into a coma. Because, you know, how, not many people were using it apart from some hardcore geeks. So, and the world is not full of hardcore geeks. Um, so we had an idea that maybe we could, rep, you know, what we're talking about here is that a lot of it is time-based. and Memories are, uh, uh, you know, uh, positioned in time. So we had an idea that maybe we could make um, a spiral, a time spiral. So um, I made a prototype, uh, not using their data. So this was for the pitch. And um, so I'm going to show you this. So we did this thing, and I showed them this. And so what we've done, we've done a spiral. So I'll just go back a second. And uh, we, we thought, maybe time could be represented in the spiral. And we, So I did this demo, and I showed them in the pitch. And they were like, oh, that's cool. you know. And uh, so I'll just show you again. So here, we're it's just using data, so it's using a news API. So this just represents data. And then, so I was saying, yeah, we did this spiral, and they go, oh, that's pretty, so it's 2D. I go, ha-ha, it's in 3D. And they were like, whoa, that's cool. Here's some money. So, <laughs> no, literally. So, you know, you have to play with, it's, it's like a layered experience. It's, it's about theater when you pitch, as you know you know, loads loads of designers in the room, you do this stuff, you know, this is what it's about, it's trying to tell a story, even in that pitch scenario, and uh, so from this moment on, I owned their ass, okay, they were mine, they were like, and they they were there, and there's my hand, and I'm crushing them, no, in a nice way, Um, so yeah, so, so, so this, so everything was cool, and we won the pitch, and we get the phone call to tell us we've won, and, you know, and this is like, ah, oh, this is awesome, and uh, what a great project. And then, and then we get a call like a week later when we're about to start on the project properly. And now my demo has got about thirty, thirty memories in there, and you know, it's just a prototype. And it was, it was kind of like a, its limit of performance-wise. So they ring me up and say, yeah, so. Um, We've got about 10,000 memories we want in a spiral. I was like, my thing could make 30 before it died. So I was like, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. We've got a problem, lads. Um, but of course, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't go to them on the phone and go, uh, can we not just do a list instead? Uh, not going to fly. They bought into this spiral, sexy, 3D awesomeness. And and so we had to, you know, and so it imposes a constraint, and, and creativity and design always works better with a bit of constraint, and fear, fear is a good thing. Comfort is bad. You know, if you're ever comfortable in anything, you know, do something else. You've got to, you know, frighten yourself. And right now, I was frightened. Um, so... So in the end, luckily, now the key here is what you need to do if you have a design company is employ people who are better than you, <laughs> and your problems go away. It's very easy. So luckily, we've got some real programming geniuses, and, uh, and Gary made his own 3D, 3D engine. He's, he came up with this, and um, this can display 10,000, 100,000 memories, um, and he built this himself. He said, oh, we don't need to use Paper Vision. I've built my own 3D engine and took out the bits we don't need. And now it can't spin round, but now it's like Doctor Who, you know, time tunnels and things. So these are all people's memories. The shapes are kind of just random. Um, people always go, what do the shapes mean? And go, I don't know. They just look cool. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, so, but already this was, it was interesting because when we tested it, we thought, oh, there's different ways to view all this data. And there is a linear list view. And we thought, because the audience for this was like people who are 16 right the way up to 80-year-olds, um, we thought that the older generation would like the list version. And it is so not true when we tested it. They were really into this. You know, it, it, it doesn't, demographics don't fit all the time. And so... We had the older generation using this. Some of the younger ones preferred the list view. Um, and so y- you can't predict this stuff. And uh, this stuff is still online, so you can go and check it out. And uh, we've had loads more memories because of the more compelling way that we showed the data. So I'm kind of obsessed with time. That's, I'm interested in time and gaps between things, and, and more, not more so than... Than film and cinema and uh, I think cinema and film has more in common with interaction design than pretty much any other medium um, because interaction design is a time based medium so I started to play around with um, data visualization I don't I don't think I ever called it data visualization this is basically me how my process works is when I'm at home on a Saturday afternoon, my wife works on a Saturday, so I'm basically allowed to play. Um, Not that I'm not, you know, I'm not like, she doesn't rule me with an iron rod or anything, but, you know, on Saturdays I can, like, do stuff. And so that's what I do, um, because I don't have any friends. Um, so, So this thing... So I started to play with the idea of film, and getting film in there, and and doing different things with it. And this is the film uh, Get Carter, it's the original one, not the crap Sylvester Sloan version. Um, It's a great British film, and and there's no reason why I used that film, I just liked it. And what you're seeing is the the reason it's all... So this is like, I think, every frame, uh, every frame, every second. Um, So I was playing around with that idea. And I thought, maybe if I take the sound and then if there's a lot of sound at that particular point where that snapshot is taken, it shows um, the frame really big. And if there's no sound, it makes the frame really shallow. And so what happens is you can start to see that when there's uh, quiet periods in the film, uh, when there's lots of talking, that kind of thing. And so you get this, this nice undulating pattern. And then, you know, what I love about programming and code is that, I, and, and design is all about the iterative process. With code, that's really easy to do. So you can just switch a few variables and you can get a totally different aesthetic. And uh, this, what, this one I like. This is The Man Who Wasn't There by the Coen Brothers. And um, what I loved about that film was the fact that the main character, he hardly spoke. And I love that. I love the silence that a character injected. And you almost like was willing him to speak. You know, what's up with the guy? You know, why doesn't he speak? And, you know, everyone just kind of ignores him because his life is so gray. And so if you take that idea of uh, uh, the sound controlling the amount of image, then you get this kind of thing. And it's slightly switched in that they all sit on the same baseline where the other one didn't. And so you start to get this. This kind of it looks a bit like you know DNA type stuff um, and so you can see where there's lots of silence within the film really quiet periods so then I started to do all the things like and this is weird um, this is you know slit scan taking basically a frame of a movie every every 24 frames every 24 frame you know per second and you're taking that frame and you actually instead of displaying it as a normal frame you actually just display it one pixel wide but quite high so and then you run that for the entire movie next to each other you have to do the sound Uh, otherwise it doesn't work Um, so feel free to laugh at any point Um, so so what happens is that you build up these weird images now this freaks me out. This is Nicholas Rogues' uh, Don't Look Now. Now, Don't Look Now. How many people have seen Don't Look Now? With Donald Sutherland? Come on, somebody. Yeah, there you go. It's an amazing film, So, uh, but it's also a little bit weird. And there's a, there's a dwarf who appears in it, and um, not that dwarves are weird, I'm not saying that, but in the context of this movie, it's strange and there 's the theme of red that runs throughout the movie, so you get these kind of weird images and these spooky images, and they 're particularly scary um, but there 's also these bits of red that suddenly appear, which kind of freak me out. but um, you also get this so right at right the beginning of the movie, Donald Sutherland discovers that his daughter is drowned um, uh, in an accident and and I'm pretty sure she's not wearing anything red. I can't remember. But we've got bits of red running through this thing. You see Donald Sutherland's face is all anguished. And it's like a real representation of, of the pain he's feeling as his do- he finds, finds his daughter dead. And, uh, and this is just because I did this thing with this film and I, I felt like the film was almost possessed. Uh, and you can see this stuff online and you can see there's a lots of red throughout the film. and It freaks me out a little bit. But... All all these are just experiments, and a lot of the time, what I've just shown you is like in the same day. Um, And then I took another version and thought, what if you could take a frame every second from a film and display that so every row represents one minute of film time? And you build that up, and what you get is a kind of impression of the film, a kind of fingerprint of that movie and the rhythm of it and the colors. So this is uh, Hitchcock's Vertigo, and you can see that suddenly the film goes very green at the end, because there's basically two color used in the the entire film, red and green. And so we've got more of a red tinge at the top, and then it goes more green, and it's it's about how the personality of the main character changes throughout the film. And then you've got this weird uh, dream sequence in the middle that you can see there. the point here is here that this code took me 20 minutes to write, half an hour. It's like really simple stuff. Um, you know, and I did this thing and run a few films with it. Did this in 2004, put it online. Um, and, you know, it got in a few magazines and it got uh, a bit of press. And um, four years went by, or three years went by. And, um, and then I get an email, and this is what, you know, the same as Alexander was saying, you know, you really gotta publish your stuff, get your stuff out there. Uh, I get an email from MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York, asking if I want to put this in an exhibition. So obviously, you say yes. You know, there's no, you don't even think about it. You know, you stare at the email for a long time, and you go, Jesus Christ. Now, for me, sorry. Blaspheme. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going to be struck down any minute. Um, but for me, I'll just give you a bit of a con- context. I, I flunked art class at high school. You know, I, I don't have any art qualifications. Um, failed my art exam. And uh, and now I'm, uh, I've got work in MoMA. <laughs> Jokes on my teachers. Um, so... <laughs> which I I don't know who they are, but I'd love to get the phone numbers and just ring them up. Um, So yeah, so this is, um, so that's a close-up and then um, that's a hero, but the one they they actually used was Vertigo. And so this is it. Ignore all this other crap that's in front of it. No. Um, (laughs) Remember to respect your fellow artists. Um, So, so yeah, but originally this was going to be on a wall, you know, that's like an, a, an A2 poster or something, and then they email me again and go, we think we're going to do it 18 feet high. It's like, awesome, how do I render an 18 feet high poster? Never done that before. So you have to learn how to do that. Um, and so yeah, it's, it was 18 feet high, and it was, uh, it was in the design in the Elastic Mind exhibition. And um, And we went to the launch night, and you know it was insane. There was like 2,000 people there. I thought there might be a couple of hundred. We had to queue for an hour to see my own work. Um, And My wife was not happy. Um, She says, "Why haven't you got a special pass?" I was like, "Don't know." Um, And then it was used. And and then then they bought it for the permanent collection, and uh, they they then can use it in other exhibitions. So this is uh, was an exhibition last year called action design over time and uh, this is how sad I am Uh, when I went to see this second exhibition I hung around listening to see what people would say about it and then taking pictures of them looking at it Uh, it's very sad, sorry. Um, So what I'm quite interested in now is um, making physical things. and I have, I, we have a new business that we're making uh, physical products um, just for ourselves, and then we sell them and hopefully find people who like us or like our stuff. Um, so I play around with that idea. Um, and I'm also interested in, in kind of weird, weird things. I get fascinated by usually just everyday objects that I think are complete genius, um, like brown paper bags. Uh, there's actually a YouTube video about how brown paper bags are made, and I implore you to watch it. Um, you know, never mind some crazy technical thing. Go and have a look at this because brown paper bags—I'm I'm talking about flat-bottom brown paper bags—are an amazing piece of engineering, right? So, I sort of collect them a little bit. Um, and <laughs> this is true. I also collect paper clips and pencils. So, but I'm fascinated by brown paper bag. I think they're beautiful things. So I wanted to do a project with that. And I like this layered thing of like, instead of just giving someone something, you you create this layer. This is why we wrap things up at Christmas. You know, when you give someone a present, you don't just give them the present, you wrap it up, and it's all part of the mystery and this layered approach. I really love that. So I also wanted to make digital things physical. And so I had this idea that um, I had one of these Pogo printers, these Polaroid printers, they're like 25 euros, uh, really cheap, uh, and they can spit out little Polaroid-sized images over Bluetooth. So I thought, well, hang on, my Mac is Bluetooth, this Polaroid Pogo is Bluetooth, and I've got Instagram. How many people on Instagram here? A few more people who saw don't look now, so that's good. So... So yeah, I've got this Instagram feed, and I thought, well, when I'm asleep, I don't know—you know—all this feed goes past the people I'm following, and I don't see their images because I'm asleep. Um, so what if I could make something where, when I wake up on a Sunday morning, the brown paper bag is automatically filled with pictures from my Instagram feed? So that's what I did. That's what I made. Um, my wife was just rolling her eyes. Um "What what are you doing now as I'm sticking a pogo with Velcro under a shelf and I've got this brown paper bag in it? So what happens is I wake up on a Sunday morning and I, the point is that I then go to the brown paper bag and I do not know what's going to be in there. I don't know who the images are of. So I get these photographs from strangers. Um, and I look in the bag, so it's a layered thing. Is there any going to be anything in there as it crashed? Who knows? And I look in, and there's these things. And then I look through them. I don't know who they're off. I could find out the username, but you know, I don't really care. They're mine now, not yours. They're mine. So, and and then because I'm pretentious, I have an espresso and look through them in the morning. So, um, so I, I guess it's just trying to bring back some of that surprise element that is often evident within analog and that whole gift wrapping wrapping process um, and then there's things like taking digital data like this is my Doppler trips for one year and you can see that's how many weeks I spent in that particular city or how many days sorry but then you can take that and you know this one would suggest travel is sort of speeding through a bit more but that's not really the point. What I want to show you is lasers. Lasers are cool. Let's not, you know, there's no argument. Lasers are cool. That's it. So, so now you can laser cut things. And, you know, laser cut wood. Um, I've got some business cards. I haven't got any with me. I gave them out at the last conference. But I have these business cards, and I laser cut them from felt. Don't ever laser cut felt because it basically smells Really bad, so I've got business cards that I can't actually give out and they cost three euros each So the world's most expensive business cards that I cannot use which kind of sums me up really Um, (laughs) So we've got these you know you you can do this stuff now I was really bad at woodwork at school. I was terrible and now I can use Photoshop So I can design these templates send them off to this laser-cutting place on the web next minute these cool like, luggage tags, right? And I'm, what I'm trying to do here is, is tell a story. So I think it's best uh, illustrated on this one. So this is a luggage tag, and I use the data from my trips in one particular year, and it, it tells a story of that luggage, And as if anyone's interested, but you know, I liked it. So instead of it just being data and bar graphs, it, it actually puts it in the context of a story. So then, I also do um, some electronic stuff as well. And this this project, I I kind of love and hate at the same time. Um, I had the idea that I'd make a. I'm in, really into the idea of one thing doing one thing and one thing well. And the older I get, um, the more obsessed I become about simplicity. Um, and the more I want to do simple things so uh, yeah that looks really simple Bren nice one um, so so I had the idea of you know if you have a box that does one thing and, and this in this case this was a box that connected to the internet and told you the weather and and I thought well I could you know have a digital display on there but I already have a digital display that I carry around with me all the time It's called my phone. Um, So what's the point in that? And I also wanted to constrain it to be, you know, if it was engraved in wood, then I couldn't change it later. And I love that constraint. uh, And it's a bit more risky. Um, So I made this thing with uh, Arduino, um, with some electronics. And there's a servo there. And I had this thing laser cut. um, Had a box laser cut. And I made this uh, thing. And I made this really bad film, but anyway. That's not me on the glockenspiel, that is some music I found. Yeah, you'll see it working in a moment. You press the button it then goes to Yahoo weather tells you that it's the forecast is for snow and the, it's got an RGB LED and it tells you the temperature and that's it and <laughs> thank you <clears throat> so I like it because it's like this curious thing and it, you know I love the fact that you know What's going to happen when you press that button? Because the, the button is really big and the button invites you to interact with it and press it. And I love sockets for that reason. Headphone sockets. You know, they invite you to plug it in and see what's coming out of there. So that's why I love big buttons. So, But here's the thing why I also hate it at the same time is that if I want to know the weather, I could just look out the window. All right. so, so then it's like, you know, all the energy that went into making this thing and I you know is it a problem that needs to be solved uh, I'm not sure but it was kind of the act of making it is is part of you know learning your craft trying to become an expert in your work and and so it's valid for that reason but I don't think I'd ever sell those things so finally um, move on to the last thing I'm running out of time um, you have to be looking for something in order to find something else. This is a quote from Lawrence Block. And um, I'm going to show you this one final project. And uh, this is an interface thing. So I, I also still do interfaces and that kind of stuff. And so the way I work is that I have lots of little experiments. And I'm sure pretty much lots of people in this room do this kind of thing where you make one thing and it just does one thing. And you, you know, I always find make it in black and white then people don't. Get upset about the color you're using. Why is that pink? You know, it's not pink for any reason. Get over it. No, well, that's what they, they obsess about the color. So you just make these things grayscale. So on the left, I have a thing that allows you to draw. So I wanted to know do, how do I make a drawing app? Very simple. That's, yeah, done. Uh, then it's like, how do I plot a point across a line, different lines? So that was what that one's doing. And then this one. How do I read in uh, an API, an RSS feed, whatever? And it's just showing some information. So because I had an idea that what if you took an interface away, and you actually actually had to draw your own interface. And uh, so all those three things were combined um, to make this, which I call Doodle Buzz. And the idea is a serendipitous way to search news. So we're searching for any f- information about New York City. It says doodle to see results so you draw a line and it goes kabong and it doesn't i don't know if it says kabong but you know to me it does um so then you've got all these headlines and it's purposefully chaotic and non-linear and to see a headline you then draw a line from that headline you then now where it gets interesting is that you then see related topics so we searched for new york city now we're looking at tehran uh tehran so We've got information on Tehran, headlines. We can then drill down from there, and we see that news story. Then we see other related stuff. So we've got Israel, United Nations, draw a line from there. Keep going and going and going and going. It's infinite. Um, And the point is that it's not meant to be the most usable thing in the world. There are already lots of usable news websites. What this is trying to do is help you discover things you didn't know you were looking for. Um, And stumble upon things and bump into things because that's, you know, that's good. That's human. Um, And so this is also going to be in, uh, I'm pleased to say this is going to be in MoMA in July. And uh, and now I've got to, I haven't opened up Flash for like three months. So now I've got to reconfigure this and learn how to use Flash again. And then you can zoom out. So people might like making rude pictures with it when it zooms out. Because that's, that's what we all do. Um, but I think that's it. Thank you very much. See Conference on Visualization of Information, the Sea on the Go podcast.